we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. We're in 2 Samuel chapter number 6 this morning, and I will begin reading in verse number 12. The Bible says, And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him, because the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. And David danced before the Lord with all his might. And David was girded with a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael's daughter looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. And they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. And David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And as soon as David had made an end of offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. And he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. Then David returned to bless his household. And Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, who uncovered himself today in the eyes of of the handmaids of his servants, as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. And David said unto Michael, It was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus, and will be base in mine own sight, and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. Therefore Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child unto the day of her death. I want you to go back with me, if you would, please, into verse number 12. We find this phrase in the middle of the 12th verse. So David went and brought up the ark of God. The title of this message this morning is David brought up the ark of God. I want us to pray together, if you would. Fathers, we come to your word. We pray that the word of God would speak to us today, that the Holy Spirit would quicken us, give us understanding, help us to receive your truth. Lord, there are many things that occupy our minds and many things that serve as a temptation to distract us today. We pray that the Holy Spirit would have our attention and that you would give us understanding to receive your word and to condition our hearts, O God, that we would respond in obedience to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you were here last week, you note the beginning of the sixth chapter as we looked at verses 1 through 11. And David, in his efforts to bring up the ark uh, to Jerusalem, uh, suffered a great and, and tragic event, the death of Uzzah. We, we discovered last week that David's motive was right. He wanted to bring up the ark of the Lord, but his method was wrong. They placed the ark on a new cart. Uzzah put forth his hand to stay the ark on the cart when the oxen stumbled, and the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote Uzzah, and he died. That day, the Bible tells us that David was afraid of the Lord. And so the procession stopped, and they carried the ark of God, which signified, as we noted last week, it signified the presence and the glory of God. They carried the ark of God into the house of a man named Obed-Edom. As we come here to verse number 12, we find that David had learned that God had blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertained to him because the ark of God was there in his house. And so David determined in his heart that it was time to bring the ark to Jerusalem. As Warren Wearsby notes, David was now determined to do God's work in God's way. So he sent the Levites on the 10-mile trip to the house of Obed-Edom, and they brought the ark to Jerusalem on their shoulders. Now we know this because in 1 Chronicles chapter 15, the Bible tells us exactly how it is that David had the ark carried up to Jerusalem. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15 and verse number 1, the Bible said, And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. In verse 11, the Bible says that he called together the Levites, and in, in verse 12, he charged them, saying, Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel unto the place that I have prepared for it. Verse 13, For because ye did it not at the first, the Lord our God made a breach upon us, for that we sought him not after the due order. And the children of the Levites bear the ark of God, this is in verse 15, upon their shoulders with the staves thereon, as Moses commanded according to the word of the Lord. So we find that David has received the correction that he needed, and so he moves the ark according to the commandment of the Lord, unlike the last time when he, in the earlier portion of chapter 6, put it on a new cart and sent it to Jerusalem. So now we know that David's motive is right, but we also know that his methods are right, and that is important to God. Now we find that David has brought the ark of God in these verses in which we read. He brings the ark of God into Jerusalem. He set it in the place in the tent that he had prepared for it. He blessed the people, offering sacrifices. He provided a meal for them, and he sent them home at the end of a glorious day. But the day ended for David on a sour note because when he got home, he was greeted by his wife, Michael, who was, as the Bible tells us, the daughter of Saul. 
and she met him at the door with words of contempt and disdain. The blessings that Obed-Edom and his house had experienced and the blessings that the nation of Israel had experienced that day could not and would not be celebrated in David's house that evening. We find in this passage things that we experience, things that happen to us when the Lord is present. And there are many blessings, but there are also some difficulties. And I want us to note them this morning. I'll give you those three, and then we'll look at each of them. First of all, when the Lord is present, we experience the blessings of Christ's presence. The blessings of Christ's presence. Then secondly, we note that we experience the bounty of Christ's provision, what he has supplied for us. And then finally, we're going to note the bitterness of the critic's pride. Well, the painful thing about this critic is that it came from within his own house. And so we'll note these things. Let's look first of all at the blessings of Christ's presence. Why was it so important for David to bring the ark to Jerusalem? Because David wanted the presence of God. The ark signified the presence of God. It also signified the glory of God. We noted that when the ark was carried away in 1 Samuel, when it was carried away by the Philistines, and the news came back to the people that the daughter-in-law of Eli the priest, when she was giving birth to her son, named him Ichabod, saying, The glory of the Lord has departed. The Philistines, in her, in her mind, had taken away the glory of God from Israel, the presence of God. And for 70 years, even though the ark had been returned to the land of Israel, it had not resided in the center of the uh, life of the, the nation of Israel. Well, Saul, we believe, had only sought for it on one occasion of the ark of God to get counsel from the Lord. But David decided and determined that in his rule, in his reign, the most important thing that Israel would possess is the presence of God. He valued the presence of God. Let me ask you this morning, do you value the presence of God in your life? The Bible tells us here in verse 12, it was told David saying, the Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom, and all that pertaineth unto him because the ark of God. You see, Obed-Edom just happened to be near the, the place of the procession, and, and his home was there. And so when they decided to set the ark in a place, his house was apparently the most convenient or the best choice. And so the ark of God was brought into the house of Obed-Edom, and God blessed the house of Obed-Edom. You see, where God's presence is, there will be blessing. There will be blessing. And so the Bible tells us in verse 12 that David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom in the city of David with gladness. Now remember, when, we, when David last left the ark, he left it filled with fear. When God smote Uzzah dead for touching the ark of the covenant or the ark of the Lord, when, when, he, when, he, when he smote him dead, the Bible said that David was displeased. He was afraid of the Lord that day. He was filled with the fear of the Lord. But now, having learned that God's presence is blessing the house of Obed-Edom, he determines to carry it up to Jerusalem, and he's overcome with the favor of God. 
Not the fear of God, but with the favor of God. Imagine this, that the God of this universe desires to dwell with us. David said that the nation of Israel will have the glory of God in the presence of God with us. Those of you who know the Lord Jesus as your Savior have the presence of the Lord with you. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Uh, Matthew Henry wrote, as David could read God's frowns upon them in Uzzah's stroke, so he could read God's favor upon them in Obed-Edom's prosperity. So David knew that the Lord's wrath had subsided. He saw the blessings on the house of Obed-Edom, and he determined to carry the ark of God up to Jerusalem. He desired that not only would Obed-Edom enjoy the blessings of the Lord, but that all of Israel would enjoy the blessings of the Lord. By the way, the Bible tells us that we who know Christ are enjoying the blessings of God. In the book of Ephesians, the Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You and I are rich indeed if we know the Lord Jesus because he is with us. He dwells within us. We who know him have the spirit of the living God living in us, Christ in us, the hope of glory, and Christ in us has blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Now, we can measure and, 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 uh, and report about temporal physical blessings, right? How much money we have in the bank, you know, how the kids are doing and our health, and those are all things that are temporal and they're physical, they're visible blessings. But the Bible tells us that God has blessed us with spiritual blessings. Now, I'm grateful that he's blessed me with temporal and visible and physical blessings. But we should be most grateful for these spiritual blessings. And they're not as easy for us to determine and observe. In fact, I think sometimes we get our eyes so affixed on the temporal and the visible that we forget about the spiritual. But the Bible tells us in Ephesians that he's blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Now, I, I just, in my curiosity, I looked through chapters 1 and 2, and I began to make a list of those spiritual blessings. Now, this by no means is an exhaustive list, and it only covers the first two chapters. But let me just share some of the things that I discovered. In chapter 1, in verse number 4, the Bible says that we who know the Lord have been chosen by him. Think about that. He loves you and he's chosen you. The Bible tells us in chapter 1 and verse 5 that we who were uh, strangers and aliens, those of us who were without God, have been adopted as his children. In chapter 1 and verse number 6, we are accepted in the beloved. A lot of people suffer rejection in this world, but I want to tell you that God loves you, and if he's present with you, he has accepted you in the beloved. What a wonderful term that is. We have redemption through his blood. That means he has made the payment for our sin. Not only that, in chapter 1 and verse 7, but we have received the forgiveness of sins, all the wrongs that we've ever done, all the things that, that we uh, feel guilt and shame over, the Lord Jesus has forgiven us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. What a wonderful blessing it is to be forgiven. 
He has abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Chapter 1 and verse number 8, God has given us wisdom. The Bible says, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which upbraideth not, and giveth to all men liberally. Chapter 1 and verse 9, he has made known unto us the mystery of his will. God has unveiled for us his purposes and his plans. He is showing us what is happening in our world. You know, as we've navigated these treacherous waters in the last few years in our nation, and as we continue to navigate them, here's what we know. We know what God is doing in this world. Therefore, although we are troubled at what happens, we do not have to live in a state of trouble. We can live at peace knowing God's will and his plan. Chapter 1, verse 11, we have an inheritance in Christ, you know? Maybe you're the kind of person's waiting on uh, the news that you have a a rich uncle somewhere who's left you a great inheritance. Well, maybe you'll get that news someday, or maybe you won't. But let me tell you, whether you do or whether you don't, you have a rich Savior, and you have an inheritance in him. One that is incorruptible, one that fadeth not away. Chapter 1 and verse 13 tells us that we are sealed with the spirit of promise. I belong to God. The devil cannot have me. The Holy Spirit indwells me, and I belong to him safe and secure until I get to the shores of heaven. Chapter 1 verse 19 tells me that we are the beneficiaries of the greatness of his power. God has redeemed us from the power of the devil. He has given us power to live a righteous life if we walk by faith and in the Spirit. Chapter 2, verses 5 and 6 tells me that we uh, who know the Lord have been quickened together in Christ. That means we've been made alive. We have received spiritual life, and we've been raised together with him, seated with him in heavenly places. That is our position. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 2, we find that we who were once strangers and aliens have now been made nigh by the blood of Christ. We can come into his presence through his blood. Because of that, in chapter 2 and verse 18, we have boldness and access by the faith of him. You and I can come into the presence of the Lord any time that we so choose because of what Christ has done for us, because of the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. And then finally, in chapter 2 and verse 19, we discover that we are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. We are a part of God's family. The Bible tells us that God blessed the house of Obed-Edom because he was present. And I want to say to you this morning, I hope you recognize it, that God has blessed you if he is present in your life. David longed for this blessing to be upon all people. So he went and gathered the ark. He took the priests and the Levites, and they began to move the ark toward Jerusalem. In verse 13, and it was so that when they that bear the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed oxen and fatlings. David, not wanting to be presumptuous, understanding this was a holy undertaking, expressed his remembrance of the sacrifice that was necessary to redeem us to God. This evening at 5 o'clock, as we gather, we will remember the Lord's death by observing the Lord's Supper. I hope that you will plan to be with us. We will remember the sacrifice that was made so that we could receive 
these spiritual blessings. In verse number 14, the Bible tells us that David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was girded with a linen ephod. Here we see this procession. People are lining the roadway. David, the priests are are moving behind him, and David is leading the way. They're moving the ark up to Jerusalem, and David is overcome with the grace of God. As our choir sang just a moment ago, his mercy is more. Our sins are many, but his mercy is more. Where sin did abound, the Bible tells us, grace did much more abound. And now David and the people of of Israel, having received the favor of God, are rejoicing at the presence of God. And what does David do? He loses his dignity. He lays aside his kingly robes, and he takes upon him a linen ephod, which is the garment of a priest. It is the garment of a servant. It is like an apron. And David, having humbled himself, now begins to move up and down the roadway, praising God in exuberant, spontaneous praise. This is not a choreographed thing that David is doing. This is spontaneous. He is worshiping God. He's overcome with the grace and mercy of God. He's overcome with the fact that the little shepherd boy who was in Bethlehem was anointed to be king. The shepherd boy who ran from Saul has now been brought back into Jerusalem and he's been established as the Lord's king over the nation of Israel. And now that the Lord has blessed him with his presence, David is moved. David is excited. He has a heart filled with praise to God. The Bible tells us of the lame man in Acts chapter number 3, a man who had never walked. He was laying at the beautiful gate. He was begging for alms, and Peter and John walked by, and they said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And the Bible says that they took him by the hand, and he, he, he began to arise, the man who had never stood on his own, then begin to arise. The Bible says immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. Imagine it. Here's a man never knew what it was like to stand, had never taken a step. Immediately he's healed. He doesn't have to spend one moment in physical therapy. He is completely strengthened and completely healed. And do you know what he did? He took a walk around the streets of Jerusalem. And no doubt many of the people knew him, and they're sitting there going, hey, wait a minute, that's the guy, the beggar. Look at him. He's walking. And he said, man, this is feeling pretty good. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I'm walking. And he said, well, I think I'm going to take a jog. And he took off jogging. And he started to shout, no doubt about it. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this lame man is now walking, and now he is running. And now, before long, he's leaping. What's this guy doing? He's dancing in the street. Not to some worldly beat, but to the praise of our glorious God. He's exuberant in his worship. He's lost his dignity. He's humbled himself. He's giving glory 
to God. Matthew Henry says this, it is a pleasure to a good man to see his errors rectified and himself in the way of his duty. Hey, to know that your sin is forgiven, to know that God has forgiven you of your uh, of your iniquities and your shortcomings. Uh, he has healed you. The Bible says, and while we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. When we had no strength to stand on our own, when we had no righteousness, when we had no uh, uh, attributes uh, that would bring glory to God in our life, what did he do? He loved us and he saved us and he gave us spiritual life. And that spiritual life ought to be exercised and we ought to worship and we ought to praise God. So he lays aside these garments, which in a moment will become a point of controversy. And thus, in laying aside those garments, he takes on the nature of his descendant, the son of David, who would be the son of God, who would be the king, Jesus. The Bible, speaking of Jesus in Philippians 2 and verse 6, says, "...who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation." Are you willing to make yourself of no reputation? Who took upon him the form of a servant. Remember that linen ephod speaks of service. And was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, I believe that when the presence of God is near, we can enjoy his presence in such a way that we don't care what anybody thinks about us. We just want to worship him. Let me give you a second truth, second thing we experience. Not only the blessing of Christ's presence, but we experience the bounty of Christ's provision. Verse 17, and they brought in the ark of the Lord and set it in his place in the midst of the tabernacle that David had pitched for it. So here it is, after 70 years of being absent from the public life of the nation, the ark is back in the center of the public life of the nation. And thus the people will worship God. We continue to read here in verse 17, and David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Here we find that David offered a sacrifice for the propitiation of the sins of the people. Now, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 and verse 24 and verse 25 something about this term propitiation. The Bible says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sin. His death on the cross, his sacrifice uh, is the propitiation uh, of our iniquities. Now, this word propitiation means simply this, to assuage God's wrath upon sinners, to assuage his wrath, to satisfy his wrath. You see, the Bible tells us that God is angry with the wicked every day. The Bible told us earlier here in the sixth chapter, the Bible tells us that God was angry with Uzzah. But now through the sacrifice of the burnt offering, that is the, 
the, the offering that was made for the atonement of sins, the wrath of God has been appeased. It has been assuaged. It has been satisfied. And therefore now, we are no longer under the wrath of God, but we are now under the favor of God and the blessing of God. When David went home earlier after Uzzah was killed, he went home with this thought in mind, God is angry with me. What a dreadful thought. But on this day, this glorious day, God is not angry. God is gracious to David and to the people. Some people have a wrong view of God as if he's some cosmic force up in the sky just waiting to hit you over the head with a billy club. Everything you do, he's going to punish you for. Listen, Christ took our punishment for us. God is a God of mercy and grace who wants to extend that grace to you. I hope you have received him as your Savior. If you have, you're no longer under his wrath. You are now under his favor. David offered this sacrifice, a burnt offering. And then we see, and peace offerings. These peace offerings were sacrifices of praise, often offered during feast times or festival meals when the people of God would gather. And what is it that they would celebrate? They would celebrate the peace that they were experiencing in the presence of God. The first thing is that they had peace with God, and secondly, that they had the peace of God. Oh, there's a remembrance here in these sacrifices. The bounty of Christ's provision, that he made the payment for our sin, that he has given us peace. And then we find here in verse 18 that David prayed for the people. Look at it if you would. And as soon as David had made an end of burnt offering and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. David gathered the people together. They had the sacrifice. Uh, they made the propitiation for their sin. They, they gave the sacrifice of praise for the peace that they had received. And now he said, it's time to pray. And David, the king, began to pray for his people. In this act, he takes on the nature of, of his son, the Lord Jesus, who is our high priest. The Bible says that we have a high priest, for we have not such a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That means we have a God who knows what we're going through. <clears throat> it means we have a God who can relate to our problems and who knows our problems. And he is in the heavens at the right hand of the Father where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Let me tell you that King Jesus at this moment is in the presence of his Father and he's praying for you. He's praying for you to overcome that temptation. He's praying for you in this physical challenge. He's praying for you and the family struggles that you're facing. He's praying for you in the financial woes and difficulties of your life. He is praying for you and the thoughts that torment your heart and mind. He is touched with a feeling of our infirmities, our weaknesses, and he intercedes for us. Israel knew that day they had a king who loved them and cared for them and who prayed for them. And I want you to know that we have a king, King Jesus, who loves us and cares for us and prays for us. This is the bounty of his provision for us. But then we see in verse 19, 
and he dealt among all the people, even among the whole multitude of Israel, as well to the women as men, to everyone a cake of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. They all had a meal together. It sounds like a pretty nice meal. Maybe, you know, better than a gift card to, to the Longhorn, right? A nice steak, a piece of bread, something to drink. It was a celebratory time, and there was provision for everyone, for all the men who were present and all the women who were present, and they all got to take a meal home and enjoy that meal together. They enjoyed the bounty of God's provision. He provided for their need. You know, the Bible tells us that my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. We're not looking to the government, the Biden administration. We're not looking to the state of North Carolina. We're not looking uh, to uh, Wall Street or, or, or anybody else to supply our needs. We are looking to the Lord. That's why Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's a powerful prayer because in it we recognize where all the things that we receive are coming from. They're coming from our Father. And so we see the bounty of Christ's provision, his sacrifice for us, his prayer for us, his provision for our daily needs. It's a glorious thing to know God, isn't it? It's a glorious thing to have him present, to be blessed with all spiritual blessings, to have my needs cared for. What a glorious day this is. This is the greatest day, no doubt, in David's life to bring the ark of God into Jerusalem. What a glorious day. And so he dismisses the people filled with joy and gladness. He dismisses them to go back to their homes and he returns in verse 20 to his household to bless it. He said, man, I can't wait to get home because I want my family to rejoice in the blessings of God. But when the rejoicing king went home, he was greeted by a resentful wife. I think this stuck in his heart like a dagger. Notice, if you would, in verse 20, here we see the bitterness of the critic's pride. The bitterness of the critic's pride. And know this, that as soon as you begin to enjoy the blessings of God and the bountiful provisions of God, as soon as you begin to enjoy that, the critic will rear their ugly head because the critic is never satisfied. And the critic is motivated by pride. Now, we note this here. In verse 20, then David returned to bless his household, and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today. Who uncovered himself today in the eyes of the handmaids of his servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovered himself. You see, old Michael, she was angry. In fact, look, if you would, in verse 16 of the sixth chapter. Uh, while all of this praise was going on and the ark of God was being carried into the city of David. In verse number 16, the Bible says, and as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. 
By the way, when they saw the lame man leaping and dancing and praising God in Acts chapter 3, there was a group of religious leaders, and they didn't like it either. They didn't like it either. They didn't want Jesus being they didn't want Jesus being worshipped. They, they didn't want people hearing about Jesus. And so they didn't like it. And Michael doesn't like it either. She looks out. She sees her husband, the king, with his kingly garments laid aside. Looks like a, one of the, the lower class of the Levites serving around uh, the, the, the tabernacle of God with his, with his apron on. And uh, it, it made her angry. It made her angry. Now, remember, the Bible refers to Michael here as the daughter of Saul, but we also remember that she was the wife of David. And she'd been through some difficult things. Her dad used her to get to David. In spite of that, she did love David. The Bible tells us that. But obviously, her father didn't love her. He was going to use her as a bargaining chip. In fact, he came to her home, her and David's home, to try and kill David. And she let David down the window, and he escaped away. Later on, to show that he was in charge, Saul decided to take Michael and give her to another man to be his wife. Imagine being in Michael's position. Your husband's gone. He's running from your dad. Now your dad says, I'm giving you to this guy. You're going to be his wife. And then years later, when David assumes the throne and he asks for his wife back, I don't know all the emotions that she was dealing with, but I imagine she was dealing with a myriad of them. And now her husband is here, and he is maybe not where she wants him to be. He's praising God. And she has allowed bitterness to creep in to her life, bitterness and unforgiveness. And there's no word of peace, no word of, of, of praise. It's all resentment. And she accuses him of some lewd behavior. Now, we know because 1 Chronicles 15, 27 tells us that David was not disrobed. He was not immodestly dressed. 1 Chronicles 15, 27, let me read it to you. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, and all the Levites that bore the ark, and the singers, and, and uh, Chenina, and the master of the song with the singers. David also had upon him, here's, here's what he was wearing, an ephod of linen. So David had a robe on, and he had the apron, the ephod on. So this, this accusation that he was somehow being immodest or lewd or immoral is the wrong accusation. Matthew Henry writes this in his commentary. That which displeased her was his affection to the ark, which she wished he had no greater kindness for than she had. In other words, David loved the ark more than she loved it. And maybe she was jealous of that. But she basely represents his conduct in dancing before the ark as lewd and immodest. It is common, he writes, for those that reproach religion thus to put false colors upon it and lay it under the most odious characters. People love scandal, don't they? Not too long ago, somebody put a post on Facebook 
about our purchase of the property next door. The God-haters came out of the woodwork. I wouldn't suggest you go look for it. It won't do anything but discourage you. But they're not happy. They're not happy. You see, here's what you and I have to understand, that we live among those who are bitter and resentful. They're waiting to pour rain on any parade of praise to God. Like Michael, they lie in wait, hoping to steal the joy of God's saints and to deter them from his service. And here's what happens. When we're met with those painful, piercing, cutting words of Michael, here's what happens to many of us. We get offended and we quit. But David didn't quit. David didn't let her words deter him. Look at what David said, verse 21. And David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord. <laughs> I, I wasn't doing this for you, Michael. I, I really don't care what you think about me. Boy, that's a great place to come to, isn't it? When you and I can quit worrying about what the world thinks of us and start to be concerned with what God thinks of us. You see, David here will remind her, he says, it was before the Lord which chose me before thy father and before all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore will I play before the Lord. That word means to rejoice before the Lord. And I will yet be more vile than thus. If you think I'm humble and vile now, wait till you see me later and will be base in mine own sight. And to the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them shall I be had in honor. What is he doing here? He is reminding her that it was God who chose him to serve as king. It wasn't her. She had no right to tell him how to conduct himself because she had no authority. Therefore, he recognized God's approval upon his life. David knew that it was God that he must please, and he was content to have God's approval, even if it meant he did not have hers. Let me ask you a question. And this is a temptation that all of us face. Can you be content having God's approval if it means you won't have the approval of the world? We like to have the world's approval. I read those, pace, uh, those posts, excuse me, I read those posts and I thought to myself, well, what, what, why, why, are, why is everybody upset with us? Why don't they like us? I mean, we're decent people. We're good people. We're nice people. We want to do things to help the community. They don't understand what we want to do. Why? Are, and then you start feeling sorry for yourself, right? Look, we're always going to have that crowd to deal with. And you're going to have it to deal with. And some of you have it to deal with in your own home. Family who says, why do they make such a big deal out of going to church on Sunday? Why, why would they give their income to the church? Why do they get so embroiled in all of this? You see, that's the spirit of the critic. That's the spirit of Michael. And by the way, don't become a Michael. Because bitterness leads to barrenness. Look at it in verse 23. Therefore, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child under the day of her death. 
Now, in that culture, not in this culture, because in this culture, that's almost celebrated. But in that culture, it wasn't. In that culture, it was important to a woman to have children. But this woman, because of her bitter spirit, basically severed a relationship with her spouse and never had a child. You see, you may be a bitter person, but I want you to understand that bitterness is destroying you and it's causing barrenness in your life. Christians, you're going to encounter bitter people. You're going to deal with them, but you cannot let them deter you or dissuade you from serving God. We must learn to live with God's approval, even at the expense of the disapproval of others. So let me ask you a few questions. Is God present in your life? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. The Spirit of God must come to dwell within you. And when he moves in, you know it. Have you received Christ as your Savior? Have you acknowledged that you're a sinner, that you need a Savior, that Jesus is the only Savior? And have you asked him to save you? If you haven't done that, I want to encourage you to do it today because God will move into your life. His presence will fill you and make you a new creature. He'll bless you. Christian friend, how long has it been since you have enjoyed the presence of the Lord? Used to, maybe you did, but nowadays, not so much. Where did you leave him? David knew exactly where to find him, at the house of Obed-Edom. And he went there and he made things right. Do you know what you need to do? You need to go back there and you need to get it right. Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. Are you willing to open the door to his presence and to his blessings? Are you willing to share the blessings of the Lord? That's what David did. He said, I, I want everybody to enjoy this. So he began to sacrifice and he began to pray and he provided for them the provisions that were needed. Look, you and I who know the Lord, we have, we have been blessed and we can share these provisions with the lost and dying world. This week with Easter coming next Sunday, we have a, a, a really great opportunity to tell people about Jesus, to hand out an invitation card, to tell them to come and be with us on Easter Sunday and hear the gospel preached. There are booklets and information that we can share with them. We can tell them our story and just tell them what he's done for us. We can share in God's provision of our lives. Hey, have you encountered the bitterness of the critics? Is it wearing you down? Keep your eyes on Jesus. Don't let the critics dissuade you. And worse yet, have you become one of the critics? If so, would you acknowledge it? Ask the Lord to forgive you. Let him fill you with a fruitful life. That's what he desires to do. 
they brought up the ark of the Lord and they experienced the blessings. They experienced the bounty of his provision. And yes, they encountered bitter critics. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.